0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we go to New York to speak with Gavin Shaw of Locked On Knicks as we discuss the Knicks' new head coach, Tom Thibodeau. And then I give you an update around the league as scrimmages have started in the Orlando bubble. All the news that you need to know. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the Locked On AFL Podcast. And I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and Yahoo Sports Australia. We are less than a week away from NBA real games starting. We have had uh, the scrimmage games kick off in Orlando. We've got news of a new head coach. And we're going to kick that off uh, Kick off today's show by talking about that with one of the hosts of the Locked On Knicks Podcast, Gavin Shaw. Today's episode is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Let's bring in now the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shawl, is here with me. The Knicks have themselves a new head coach, who's also an old head coach in the league, a name that's been rumored plenty of times to be getting this Knicks job. Tom Thibodeau is officially the coach of the New York Knicks. Gavin, what do you think?
1: Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks for having me, Josh. I always, always love being here with you. I, I've been I've been bummed that the Knicks haven't done anything of significance for almost almost a year now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, happy to to have a reason to talk to you. Um, what do I think about it? Wow, that's a that's a complicated question. He he wasn't my favorite candidate from the start. I was really into the idea of the Knicks hiring Kenny Atkinson or if one of the myriad of assistant coaches. They were interviewing, particularly people like Ime Udoka, Will Hardy, Becky Hammond, all from that Spurs tree. Uh, really blew the Knicks brass away. Um, I, I would have loved to have taken a shot on someone like that. Um, over time, I've somewhat come around to the idea of Tom Thibodeau as the Knicks head coach because the, the biggest thing the Knicks have been missing over the last twenty years is a coherent identity, and the I, I think defining feature of James Dolan's failures. Um, over these last two decades, has been constantly trying to take shortcuts. And in some ways, this is another one. I mean, Thibodeau was obviously the quote-unquote win-now candidate out of everyone being interviewed. Um, Clearly, this is going to accelerate their timeline a little bit. Um, He's not someone who tolerates losing well. I think they're going to do everything possible to make the playoffs next year. Uh, but at the very least he he gives them some sense of a coherent identity you know what a tom Thibodeau team looks like for better or worse and and i always i always flash back to the next 2012 13 season their one year of definitive success in the last 20 and, and even that year their identity of playing mellow at power forward and bombing threes was an accidental byproduct of Amari Stoudemire getting hurt early in the season. And, and then they never went back to that strategy again, even though it turns out they were ahead of the curve on the most significant revolution in NBA basketball um, in recent history. But uh, yeah, to sum that up, I, I really, I think Thibodeau will instill a culture of, of defense and intensity. And a lot of coaches have come in and, and said they were going to do that. Uh, most recently, David Fisdale, uh, Thibodeau actually has the track record that backs up that he will.
0: So you talk about an identity, the identity for Tom Thibodeau, so much of what I see you know, pushed around is, oh, well, he, you know, he turned Derrick Rose into an MVP. The Bulls won 60 games. That's 10 years ago. So and this is a guy who's built his reputation on defense, but the last three seasons that he played, his defenses were bad. The last three seasons that he coached, his defenses were bad because they were good back in 2010, 11, 12. But the NBA seemed to figure that, that out. Now, it is hard to fully judge his Minnesota tenure because he's... Well, I can judge his uh, tenure as you know, president of basketball operations because that was bad. Like, his decision-making there was poor, you know, sacrificing the future, and he's not going to have that sort of responsibility in New York. You hope he really doesn't have too much of a say in it. But what what is his off, off offensive identity? This is a team that doesn't shoot threes, and you talked about... Well, not, not a team. This is a coach who, who doesn't prioritize shooting threes. So, in a league that you sort of need to be able to do that and to be able to hit them, you know, what what are we looking at? And this is not a team built with shooters, so that sort of fits what he wants. So, you know, what yeah. what are we getting here? A guy that's a good defensive coach who's been bad at coaching defense for the last couple of years, and his offense doesn't really seem to make sense in the modern NBA.
1: Yeah, it's strange because his numbers offensively were nominally pretty good in Minnesota. Of course, you have Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns on paper too, the... 15 or so best offensive players in the NBA, your offense is probably going to be pretty good no matter what you run. Defensively, you could flip that. Um, He could be a brilliant defensive coach, but if Carl Anthony Towns is your anchor and you're consistently playing Jeff Teague and Jamal Crawford, even with a guy like Jimmy Butler, are you going to be all that good on defense? Probably not. And and to me, I mean, Tibbs at this point, and you could have argued he was more than this during his Chicago tenure, he falls into a large group of NBA coaches that ultimately – don't make a difference where the Knicks see some improvement is the fact that they've had coaches who actually impact them in a negative way. I mean, you can list on one hand, the coaches that definitively affect winning Uh, Greg Popovich in his prime. I would argue Mike D'Antoni with the right roster, Brad Stevens, Rick Carlisle. Uh, Of course, there are like a few Mike Budenholzer, uh, maybe Eric Spolstra. So I I got to two hands, but the point is that there are only so many coaches that I would put in the category of definitively great. I don't think Tibbs is that guy. Um, My my main point against hiring was essentially what you just said, that I I think his offensive system is antiquated. Uh, That being said, in both Chicago and Minnesota, with the right personnel, he had consistently good offense. So even if he was somewhat backwards, that didn't hold them back. Will there be a bigger gap between what he's doing and the rest of the league if he sticks with that? Uh, of course there will be because the rest of the NBA has evolved. And if he is not evolved with it, then I, I don't think his tenure with the Knicks is going to be very long. Uh, when he was at the Sloan analytics conference uh, this past March, he said all the right things. And it seems like he's thinking the right directions. The question is, and uh, excuse the cliche, can, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Is he willing to go away from what was clearly so staunchly his identity for his entire coaching career at, at the age of, of 63 when nominally he has achieved a whole lot of success playing that style of basketball. I, I can't tell you that it, it does seem like he has a greater comprehension and appreciation for what he does wrong. And, and to me, ultimately, what will this, what, what this will come down to is how Leon Rose shapes the Knicks roster. Um, are you going to go out and sign a Davis Bertans, a Danilo Gallinari, a, a Joe Harris, and, and add to the shooting that the Knicks so desperately need to have a little bit of breathing room on offense and push Tibbs, towards all the right tendencies were were all the interviews they had to find the right offensive coordinator for maybe convince someone like Kenny Atkinson whose family is so stable and happy in New York to stay in New York and be his assistant coach. Heck maybe convince Mike Miller who seems to have a complete grasp of modern NBA basketball to stay on this Knicks staff and be your assistant coach. So, so to me, Tibbs is going to be Tibbs to some degree or another. You need the personnel and the assistant coaches to push him in the right directions.
0: Yeah. Now you talked about the offense and having the players there to to put up those good offenses in Minnesota, you, you had Towns and you had Wiggins, whatever his faults are, and you had Butler, and you had those offensive players in Chicago. Similarly, uh, and you could still make the argument, and I obviously will, that he misused you know Carl Anthony Towns; the ball just wasn't in his hands enough. Like the the yeah. system still wasn't working. But in New York, you don't have those players; you have got nowhere near that level of uh, that player on this squad. And while he has developed guys in the past, like his. Uh, inability to develop uh, bench rotation guys to stretch out that rotation, to put guys at additional risk of injury in meaningless contests, is got to be a concern for a team that is built the future is, you know, RJ Barrett it's, maybe it's Kevin Knox, I'm not sure it's Mitchell Robinson, but will he then go back to all his Taj Gibson playing 28 minutes a night because he loves Taj Gibson and coaches him everywhere he goes. Will we bring? Yeah, will he look to trade, or put pressure on the front office to bring in Derek Rose? Will he do what he did in Minnesota and bring in all these former Bulls players? Will he yeah, sign Jeff Teague now because he used to coach him in Minnesota and now he's a free agent and really rely on these veteran guys, which as you said, is that win now mode for a roster which is decidedly not win now. Now, the Knicks could have done worse with this hire. We saw the whispers of names, Jason Kidd. Mark Jackson at times, and they could have done worse. So I, I agree with you. I think it's probably a neutral, but it's not without significant levels of concern, Gavin. Is that how the New York fan base is treating it?
1: I, I think so. I think the reaction is very mixed. I mean, there are some people who are over the moon about it, some people who think it's the end of the world, and I think there's the majority are somewhere in the middle where, where it's kind of a wait and, and see approach. But it, it's interesting to me because initially the idea of winning now, it's it has a, if you've been a Knicks fan your whole life, like I have, Josh, you, you have a visceral reaction to that phrase because we've heard it so many times. And almost every single time they've tried to win now, it, it's backfired, save for that one beautiful year in, in 2012, 13. They're always trying to take shortcuts, they're always trying to accelerate their timeline, and it has never, ever worked. The good news is now, for once, they, they have plus draft capital. They have, I, I think, a building block in, in Mitchell Robinson. I, I think he's long term, you're, you're talking, Defensive player of the year, multiple All defensive teams. I, I think he's a real piece. R.J. Barrett, there are more questions. Kevin Knox, way, way, way more questions. But winning now to me can be bad if that means you're playing Taj Gibson a ton. But if you're building the roster out the right way and adding shooting to empower the younger talents on your team to ensure that Mitchell Robinson doesn't have four bodies around him every time he goes up to catch a lob, to ensure that R.J. Barrett can credibly attack one-on-one and isn't going to see two or three help defenders flying at him with zero concern about Julius Randle bricking a corner three off the side of the backboard. If they build this thing the right way, I don't think trying to win now is inherently bad. The issue is the Knicks have gone about it in all the wrong ways and misprioritized time and time again. So it ultimately comes down to Leon Rose. And I really strongly believe unless you have one of those six or seven coaches that genuinely make a difference, your success as a team is so much more about your front office than your head coach.
0: Gavin, thank you for coming on Locked On NBA and talking about development for the Knicks heading into next season and all of the Knicks news you can get caught up with with Gavin over on Locked On Knicks.
1: Appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so much for having me.
0: When you're looking to fix your car and you want to do it yourself, if you have to go into your local auto store, it's really tough because they can't keep all the parts in stock. But I'll tell you who can, rockauto.com. Rockauto.com, you can go straight onto that site, find the part for the car that you need, and it's right there to order. Why go into a store and have the guy do the exact same thing? Type it up, load it in and say, hey, man, it's going to be three to four weeks. You can just do the same on rockauto.com and save yourself a lot of money. On rockauto.com, their catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all those parts available for your car. And best of all, rockauto.com's prices are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals or do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box, so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. right, so now we're just a few days away here from the NBA season restarting in earnest. I think it's just a good time to sort of catch up on what's going on uh, around the league. Uh, Injury news, updates, players returning. And I think the big one we've got to start with here is Victor Oladipo. Initially, uh, we didn't, well, he said that he wasn't going to be playing in Orlando, but he's down there with the team and he's participated in both of the scrimmage games. And he looked pretty good. So I really don't see a scenario that Oladipo is not going to play in these regular season games. Why would he be out there in the scrimmage games playing and playing the amount that he is if there was no intention of him going out there and then playing in the seeding games and then playing in the playoffs? So Oladipo looks like he has reverse course on that. The bad news for Indiana, because that's the good news for Indiana, the bad news is that DeMontis Abonis is suffering from plantar fasciitis. We don't know how long he's going to be out, but they're prepared for a, not, it's not even necessarily a win when he returns, but maybe an if he returns this season. So that's obviously concerning. Without him, it does give more space for Miles Turner to do his thing, but then that forces other guys into roles that they're probably not ready for. Goga Badadze, more minutes from uh, Doug McDermott. Maybe they have to push like they did in Sunday's scrimmage game, push TJ Warren up to the four and run a three-guard lineup of Brogdon, Aaron Holiday, and Victor Oladipo, which is what they did. But that cuts into your bench step then, because then you're looking at who's your backup two-guard. If Aaron Holiday is not filling that role, you've got to rely more on TJ McConnell and Edmund Sumner. So it does have a real cascading sort of impact, positive to get Oladipo back, no doubt. But if Sabonis is going to miss these seeding games, and I think they're comfortably in the playoffs, so maybe they want to look at it and go, well, let's just take it cautious and we'll see if we can get him ready for the playoffs. Because if they are going to win that first round matchup, no matter who it's against, I think Sabonis needs to be there and needs to be ready to go. From another point of view, uh, another team, that a player that we didn't expect to have ready to play in this Orlando bubble, and that's Jonathan Isaac. But the word is, and by the time I'm recording this, this hasn't happened yet, but it does look that Jonathan Isaac is going to participate in the Magic scrimmage game coming up As I said, it hasn't happened yet because I'm recording this on Sunday US time, but it looks like he's going to play. And much like Oladipo, if he's playing in these scrimmage games and he gets through them, then there's no reason to me that he wouldn't play in the seeding games and then into the playoffs because the Magic are pretty, pretty assured to get themselves into the playoffs. He hasn't played since January with that knee bone bruise, corner corner bone bruise in his knee, and he was ruled out for the season when the season was going on on a normal trajectory. And now we're sort of, yeah, maybe he's going to return, maybe he isn't. But, of course, he's in the bubble. Orlando. He lives in Orlando, and Orlando is where the bubble is, but he is moved into the Disney World bubble, and getting him another set of playoff experience on a team that is pushing to challenge whoever they face there, probably the Toronto Raptors in the first round, he's going to be key. So that's good news, because we always want to see the best players out there performing, and Jonathan Isaac's one of the best defensive players in the entire NBA. We do have some news in Portland. Damian Lillard had to sit out Sunday's scrimmage game uh, with an injury. That's not... Great news, obviously. We, of course, want Lillard to be healthy because if Portland's going to have any chance, really, of pushing for that um, uh, ninth seed at minimum, he needs to play. He had an MRI on his foot and it did turn up negative, but he's dealing with foot pain. So at this point, his participation uh, in uh, next Friday or in Friday's game against the Grizzlies, we, we don't know at this stage. And of course, without him, that makes it tough. On a positive side for Portland, they did go pretty close against Toronto in the scrimmage, and they started a weird lineup. Yusuf Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside both starting at the 4 and the 5, with Mallow at the 3 and then CJ and Gary Trent in the backcourt. The most encouraging thing here for Portland is not the fact that Yusuf Nurkic shot 31% from the field, but he had 17 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals and 2 blocks. And the most important thing is he played 28 minutes. He will be their starting center, regardless of if they start side with him or not. If they're only going with one big man, it will be Nurkic. Uh, Zach Collins has looked pretty okay out there as well, so he's back and ready to go. So Portland, despite not having a real three on their roster because Carmelo Anthony struggles significantly in that position, they do have that positivity that Nurkic is back. He's putting up numbers, he's playing 28 minutes already, and he's going to be able to get a pretty significant workload, it appears, here in this restart, which is fantastic news for him, not only for their chances of getting into, into at the minimum, a play-in game, but how this team will look moving forward. So that's good news for Portland. We just hope that the Damian Lillard injury is nothing serious. On the Clippers, Patrick Beverly has returned. Uh, he did have to leave the bubble for a family emergency. We still don't have word on Montrezl Harrell and Ivica Zubac whether they're, when they're going to be back. But Beverly is has returned. Lou Williams has also returned, but unfortunately, due to breaches of the protocol while outside the bubble, he will be uh, having to quarantine for ten days, and that means he misses the first two of the Clippers games in the seeding uh, portion of the restart. Now that doesn't really matter. They don't care. They're not pushing for the number 1 seed in the in the West. They don't care if they beat the if they catch the Lakers. I don't think that they're going to get overtaken by the Nuggets or the Jazz or the Rockets. They're not going to jump up into the 2 seed. The Clippers were going to be extra cautious with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverley and all of these guys and probably even Lou Williams, but he just won't be available for those first two games. Landry Shamet uh, should be ready to go for them. He had some uh, COVID-19 issues. So hopefully, he looks like he'll be ready to go. He'll just see an increased role without Lou Williams. And with Doc Rivers likely spreading the rotation out a bit, you'll get some Terrence Man jumping in there as well. But Lou, after getting uh, getting dinner at a strip club, because who hasn't? Lou Williams now has to quarantine for 10 days. Speaking of -of out-of-market quarantine, Zion Williamson is back in Orlando. He's only going to have a short quarantine because he didn't breach any protocols while outside of the bubble. So he will be ready to go for the opener against the Jazz on, uh, on Thursday? No, on Friday. On Friday, the opener is. So... But Zion will be ready to go. That's uh, that's great news for anyone who loves good basketball, who loves Zion Williamson, and wants that real push for that eight seed between Portland, between New Orleans, and between Memphis. I'm pretty much ruling out the San Antonio Spurs and Phoenix Suns. Sacramento is the other wild card. They've had a few issues, and we'll talk about them now because Darren Fox had an ankle problem but he's ready to go. He participated in a scrimmage, so that's fantastic news for him. The other one, who the other guy who wasn't there, is Harrison Barnes. He was dealing with uh, his COVID nineteen diagnosis, but he has joined the Kings in the bubble and he is out of quarantine because he is uh, participating in practice, not in the non not in the contact stuff yet. But he's there, and you would assume that by by the time that things kick off for the Kings, Harrison Barnes will be ready and in the rotation and the kings will have a uh, outside of Marvin Bagley who of course won't be playing at all they'll have a fairly uh, a fairly healthy rotation and maybe their team is better off without Bagley because he has struggled through majority of this season but that's an update on them Kemba Walker had troublingly missed a bunch of practices in the restart with that knee problem that caused him to miss games back in February and March. So that was obviously a concern. But he also participated in the scrimmage game on Sunday. He only played about 10 minutes, but he did participate. They're going to be pretty cautious with him because like a lot of these teams, the Celtics, if they're third or fourth or fifth, I don't think it really bothers them too much. They won't push to catch the Raptors in number two. They would rather preserve the health of Kemba Walker and then let their other guys, Tatum and Brown and Smart and and uh, Tyson and some of the other young guys, yeah, get a little bit of an extra role, maybe some minutes there for Tremont Water as well. Waters as they take care of Kemba and his knee. But the good news is he was back, and in the most positive, uplifting NBA injury news you could possibly get, Andre Roberson is back now. People are saying what? Like Andre Roberson? Yes, this guy hasn't played in like two years, two plus years, but he returned to action. He is one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. He's one of the worst offensive players in the NBA, but he is one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. He also was two of three for three uh, in the game against the Celtics. Hit a couple of late threes against Boston. If he can somehow become a corner three threat, then he jumps probably back in ahead of Lou Dort in that starting rotation, provides unbelievable lockdown defense, and providing somewhat of an ability to hit a three. It is massive if he can get back to the level of defense he was at and then also bring in his, uh, uh, I'll say newfound, it's three shots, but his maybe improved three-point shooting. So Andre Roberson is back, and that is fantastic news. We've also had a bit of a glimpse at the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons playing alongside Shake Milton in the first scrimmage game. Simo took two triples, and he hit one of them. It looked a lot more natural. In the second game, he didn't. He didn't take any threes in that game, but what he did do is he still produced his unbelievable usual level of production. Defensively, fantastic. And just because we have another guy in there who's a point guard in Shake Milton, that doesn't mean that the ball is coming out of Simmons' hands. So the the Sixers, um, he had nine assists in the first game and nine assists in in the second game. The Sixers putting up some some pretty strong performances here um, against... Against the the opponents that the, they've been um, uh, put up against so far, and Simmons playing alongside Milton, I think is uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see him at least attempt those threes, but put up yeah you know, and back to back nine assist games while not being the point guard and showing at least some. I guess, ability to shoot or some not to get them, but at least least to take those threes. That could really be a big game changer. I think the Sixers are a real dark horse to make the NBA Finals. If there's anyone outside of Milwaukee in the East that I'm looking at, it is Philadelphia and we'll see how it goes. But And Embiid's dealing with some calf soreness at the moment, which is always a trouble. But getting Simmons out there and at least showing some sort of shooting ability is a positive. The last one we talk about, of course, is Denver and Bol Bol, who's been putting up big numbers. He... Still has all his concerns defensively, but he's a great shot blocker. He's a smooth shooter. He has been pretty careless with the ball, and his shooting percentages have been rough, but he does have a lovely shot. I'm not sure we'll really see any of him in the playoffs or even in the seeding games, but he's been super strong. But remember, these Nuggets teams have been playing without Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Gary Harris. Pretty much every guard that's not named Troy Daniels hasn't been playing for the Nuggets, so that's forcing Bowl into extra action. But it is just great to see him out there after not seeing him all season. So I think that gives us a little bit of a catch-up on what's happening in the NBA at the moment as we get ready for uh, these games to begin in earnest on Friday. It's great to have the NBA back. It's great to see games even without fans there. And we're going to, hopefully, fingers crossed, get a championship crowned in a couple of months. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to helping the show out. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.